It's kind of a bittersweet day. Why is that? You, I know why that you is. You fucking know why. I know why that is. I'm just, you know, for the purposes of the show. Uh, uh, it's kind of a bittersweet. Why is that, Kim? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, it's kind of a bittersweet day because this is our last time recording together in this very particular studio. That is correct. I'm going to be leaving town this weekend and I will never return again. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be like the first few episodes that we've ever done where we record remotely. Um, I kind of, I'm, I'll miss this for sure. It was so much easier. It was easier more than <laughs> anything else. Honestly, I'll just miss having a studio to record in because yeah. now I'm going to have to turn off the AC every time I need to record again. Oh my God, he's going to be so grouchy. I live in Texas, you don't understand. Texas. It sucks. Uh, meanwhile, I'll still be here enjoying Deluxe. So there were a number of big name pop releases this week and uh i was i don't know i don't know if i was looking forward to them but i was interested i thought they could have been good you know i listened to sam smith maroon five uh kaigo and same 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 so i I have like a very specific gripe right about music in general but especially like in the pop (laughs) ram realm nowadays which is that like why are all the vocals so drenched in reverb. Reverb, Like, it is so annoying. Like, the Sam Smith album really made it super obvious to me. Mm -hmm. And it is just like, these people are all really good singers, you know? Like, I get it if they're not good singers and they need to mask their not good singingness. (laughs) Like, you know, you, you do the best you can with what you have, right? But, like, Sam Smith, Adam Levine, these are, like, gifted singers. Yeah, they are. I just don't understand. And... I there was this album that came out a few weeks ago, uh, Phoebe Bridgers, her album. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's like a singer songwriter folk artist, and every single song is uh, her voice is like soaked in reverb. It is like like she just grabbed it by the hair and drowned it in a bathtub full of reverb. Uh, for for those who don't know, what does what does reverb mean? What does it sound like? It's like it's like echo. Mm-hmm. And so Phoebe Bridgers' album, like. It's really saddening because, like, she's she's a really good songwriter. Like, I, I would have enjoyed that album if it I was like just her and an acoustic guitar. But yeah. every single song is, like, her voice is so coated in reverb. And then, like, these, like, really sappy strings come in. And it's, like, I don't know why artists are so terrified of just <laughs> letting the songwriting speak for itself. I think we should have, like, a reoccurring rant. You know what grinds my gears? <laughs> <laughs> Long-ass albums and reverb. <laughs> Speaking of segments, uh, we haven't done one of our segments in a few weeks. Um, we're going to introduce a new segment now. I guess it's going to be called Song Techniques. In this segment, we're going to try to illustrate some of the things songwriters or producers, etc., are doing to convey different things in their songs. Yeah, like specific decisions or, or uh, techniques Techniques, yeah, that, that different artists are using. Uh, and you can hear how that same choice is used in different contexts and why it makes the songs work. Without further ado, our song of the week is Drum Roll, Please. Our song of the week is actually a song from an artist and album that we've already featured here on the show earlier this year. It's Fingers by Hundred Waters. Some days 
So Kim, what is the technique that you are trying to highlight with this song? Well, I don't know any real name for it,、um, but it's when an artist makes you complete an idea, either a melody or a lyric, a feeling in the song. Like as in, they don't complete it, and they expect you to complete it, like on your own. Yeah, exactly. If that's not too clear right now, I'm going to try to illustrate the technique with fingers, and hopefully, we'll go into more examples, and you'll see what we mean. So, it's actually really subtle. So, if you're not listening to the album or the song intently, I think you'll just miss it. In the verses, she sings. Some days I feel like I love you. Nothing too conspicuous, right? Yeah. If you listen to the whole song, the rest of the verses follow this kind of structure, where she really draws out a word that you think is the last word in the sentence, only to complete it at the end. So, like, she draws out little and then she finishes it with too much. Right. Got it. And she does this for the other verses as well. She'll say. You see this parallel structure in the verses that kind of alert you that something is up.、Mm-hmm. Disclaimer: a lot of this will rely on you being consciously aware that this is happening. Like it'll rely on whatever thought processes you're having while you're listening. Like、exactly. obviously, if we're talking about the artist is making you complete it, then like. Of course, it's going to rely on whatever you're thinking. Right, that's one of the points too. It's it, because the artist allows you to fill in the rest of the phrase or whatever. It's what comes to mind for you subjectively through your experiences too, and that's one of the perks of using this technique. Right, like for example, when when I was listening to the song, I thought it was going to be sometimes I feel I love you a little. And then the next line would be sometimes I feel I love you a lot or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. But like this, like flips that on its head. Yeah, myself as a listener, when I listened to this for the first time, I thought she would just and sometimes I feel like I love you a little,、um, mm-hmm. just right there. Right. And then she hits you with the too much at the end, right when your thought process is complete. Right. Like it's already done. Oh, but wait, she loves him a little too much. I think utilizing this technique in this song was very. Deliberate because the singer kind of wants to replicate that she herself knows that there's this,、um, I guess, juxtaposition between、mm. these two adjectives,、uh, or、oh. even just like states of、yeah. loving or whatever. Exactly,、yeah. exactly, and and she knows what's up, 
but either her or the relationship is preventing it from being explicitly sad. Mm-hmm. Um, like she's trying to like emotionally distance herself or something, but clearly she's not succeeding because, like she's saying, she loves you a little too much, not just like a lot, but specifically too much. Yeah, and some days she sees him a little right too much. You know, there might be also two very distinct, like you said, stakes of being in the relationship. Sometimes she does just see him a little, and yeah. sometimes she sees him too much. Right. So I think there's a lot of room for interpretation here. For or it could even be like like she loves him a little, but maybe he makes her feel like she loves him too, too much. Mu- yeah, exactly. Uh, like we said, lots of room for interpretation, but that's the whole point here, right? You get to fill in what it's supposed to be. And right. the, the deliberate lingering, as she even says it in the song, she says, fingers lingers. You know, that lingering really triggered me to, mm. to this effect. It's like there's this lingering feeling you get when she pauses on that last word. Text painting. Yeah, text painting. So that's what inspired this conversation today about this technique. I think it's really cool. And I guess that like it, that's what makes it a good musical choice is that we can't like exactly explain Mm -hmm. the effect that it has, but we're like, but it works or like, I kind of get what she's saying or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So like, of course, she would have had to express it that way because we don't really know how else to express it. Exactly. Arish, do you hear this anywhere else? Yeah, uh, I actually have a, a perfect example. Okay, which is in Mad Villains' Great mm. Day. Uh, MF Doom has this one verse, which is like the the wet dream of of rap fanatics <laughs> everywhere. Which is um, last wish. I wish I had two more wishes, and I wish they fixed the door to the Matrix's mad glitches. Spit so many verses, sometimes my jaw twitches. One thing this party can use is more. <clears throat> I don't know if you if you exactly caught what he was doing there. I mean, he does telegraph it a little bit, which is what makes it work. But uh, he sets up this rhyme scheme, uh, you know, wishes, glitches, twitches. And then he says, one thing this party could use is more. What do you think he's going to say? And then he pauses, <laughs> clears his throat. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> clearly. And then he pauses, clears his throat, and then says, booze. It's like, it's, it's really genius because... It's like a second or third level mm-hmm. punchline, you know? Yeah. Because the first level punchline is like just saying the word, right? The second level punchline is like, is, I don't know, just not even pausing or whatever, right? Yeah. He just blows straight through it. But the third level punchline is like he he pauses he just long enough for you to come mm-hmm. to the conclusion of like, this is what's going to go here. And then he clears his throat and then he says booze to like yeah. really drive home that he's like four or five steps ahead of you which is like MF Doom's whole style. Right. And plus he's like he has a lot of trust in the audience and he sets it up really well so that the the trust is um met halfway. It's yeah. like he's really leaning into it and he's expecting for you to get it right at that second before right. he says that. And MF Doom like really prides himself on his punchlines for good reason. He mm-hmm. is like he is known as as like you know your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. He yeah. his punchlines are way ahead of you. This is this is like a, a perfect example of what he usually does. Yeah, I think um I, I can think of two things that does half and half of what your example was. Okay. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um a really popular one is Mr. Brightside. Yeah, I was. I thought of this. <laughs> um, well, this this one's a. It doesn't complete the sentence. Yeah. Uh, the same way as M of Doom really does. Um, it doesn't even want you to get it. 
So in case you don't know what we were talking about, this is what I mean. And in case you miss it, the thing with Mr. Brightside is uh, there's a series of lines leading up to it. Uh, now they're going to bed and my stomach is sick and it's all in my head, but she's touching his chest now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what you think is it's going to rhyme with sick. I actually, I didn't notice it until someone pointed it out to what, me because really? it's so subtle. Yeah, legit. I I never know. I think specifically because the whole song switches there, you know, the, oh, yeah, the like m- melodic structure, it like enters a, a new uh part of the song so I just sort of assumed that like oh the switch is you know ah. like it, it's just going into a new thing now but when someone pointed it out it's like oh it actually didn't need to switch into a new nope. thing there it could have done that yeah and what cued me in also or confirmed it when I first heard it I, I, I heard this uh, the very first time I heard the song and I was like uh, am I missing something um, <laughs> but what cued me in was the fact that he said head yeah that's... So I was like, I've confirmed. I think this is definitely hap- <laughs> This is definitely true. This is yeah, what they were it going seems for. Intentional, yeah. So both of these examples so far um, uses this subliminal rhyme mm-hmm. completion. Right. Whatever's going to rhyme usually appears in the next line. Right. So you're probably already doing this with a lot of songs mm-hmm. on the radio, and most of the time you're right. It's yeah. when you're wrong that it's really, really cool. Blurred Lines had a really <laughs> bad joke using this. Which is like a good example of of how this could be used badly. But right. this is great because they respect the audience more than Robin Thicke and his gang do. Uh, the second example I was going to give does the completion thing in a slightly different way. This is Very Black by Jamila Woods. Mm -hmm. She does this cool tag thing where the word that you're supposed to complete or supposed to be there Mm -hmm. is the first word of the next line. Like, uh, do you remember the Assumption song when we were kids? Exactly. Sounds like that. This is just like that. Black is like the magic. The magic's like a spell. she's going to say ass. But instead of saying ass, she says, ask me no more questions. Mm-hmm. Because she's she's like done with the serious part of that mm-hmm. verse. Right. And she's going into this coy kind of like, ask me no more questions, but you already know what I'm saying. Uh, also, side note, I don't think that the, the ass to ask was done for censorship, but maybe that's the case with Mr. Brightside. Right. And probably for... Uh 
blurred lines also because, mm-hmm. you know, you can't say that word on the radio. So Right. I just a really also a really quick side note about censorship. It actually does the exact opposite of what you want for listeners because when you bleep something out or does this thing that we are talking about, try to make them fill in what it is, right. it actually makes it more apparent than if you just played the word. Yeah. Like uh, there was this comedian who was saying that their least favorite word was the N-word, but not the N-word, like the phrase, the N-word, because it's like the person doesn't take any responsibility for (laughs) saying it, but you still think it in your head. So it's like not really any better at all. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, I totally get that. Uh, I actually have like a sort of related but different example. Okay. So we've been talking about how they use like lyrical cues to set up what you what you expect is going to come next. Right. But uh, an example that I have actually uses like a, a rhythmic cue in my opinion mm. to, to set up the punchline uh, and make you fill in fill in a different thing, which is in Kanye West's We Don't Care, he has this line that is one of the funniest lines ever. <laughs> uh, he says and the reason this line works is, first of all, prior knowledge, 50 Cent has a song named 21 Questions, so right. it's very you need, popular. You need, to know that, you need to know that going in. And right. the audience that Kanye is playing to... Would know that. Would know that. Yeah, like, he's exactly. assuming that. Right, right. Um, and it's really funny because... I was just going to rap. <laughs> I'm not going to rap, but I will talk rhythmically. So the line could go, you know, the kids go and act a fool when you stop the programs for after school and they DCFS, some of them dyslexic, they favor 50 cent song, 21 questions, right? Or something like that, you know, maybe sound cooler, but like, that's like the line, the lengths of the lines are matching up. Right. They are ending with the same rhymes, et cetera, or not rhymes, but with the same uh, like meter and everything, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But. Instead, what he does is 12 questions, which, like, ends the line early, which is already, like, a a note to you to, like, pay attention to the punchline mm-hmm. I just did, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's really funny because, like, he, he used a rhythmic cue of, like, what 21 questions, how well 21 questions would actually fit to make you think of it. And then... He, he, like, hits you with the, actually, it's 12 questions, which makes you go back to the, some of them dyslexic. It's, like, a really intricate yeah. punchline, and it's it's hilarious every single time I hear it because it catches me off guard, even though I've been listening to it for, like, you know, 13 years now. Yeah, yeah exactly. This this property of being caught off guard is also a, a, a cool thing that happens with this technique. It's like, oh, whoa, where, where did that come from? Or what is the intent here? It also cues you in on what's going on. Um, makes you pay attention more. Plus, even when you know it's coming, then you get to be like, man, I'm so impressed yeah. by how smart these guys are. Like, that's so cool. So it's interesting every listen. Yeah. I think another really cool example of when this was used is uh, one that we both thought of. Uh, it's Kiara's Say Anymore. Yes. From the nightclub to the bedroom floor, I never felt quite like this before. It's your eyes that I really thought. If I say anymore, if I say anymore from the nightclub. Anymore, I say anymore, I say anymore. 
spoiler alert, guys. We talk about stuff outside of the podcast. <laughs> um, but this is this is actually super, super well executed. Yeah. I, I thought it was especially well executed because the whole time I was listening to it, I was so sure that she would end the song with, you know, saying it. And she doesn't. And it's great because it's like she really respects the audience enough to mm-hmm. to get it. I mean, not that it's like so impossible to get, but it's cool that she doesn't have to say it for you to know what she means. Right. And it's also really cool because it does this text painting where it sounds like it's at the tip of her tongue. Yeah. It's like the glitch part or when it cuts off is right when you're supposed to say it. But it's like, uh, you know, that feeling like I have it, but I'm not going to say it. Yeah. So we just said a lot of examples of when this technique is used and different ways that it could be used rhythmically, lyrically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another way that this could be used is like on the other side of the completion. It's when the artist completes a thought or says something that is appropriate and perfect for the rhyme or whatever, but it's a little off somehow or mm-hmm. um, there's something else. So... Uh, in Human Touch, which we talked about uh, in our Best Self episode, she says, If she had just ended it at so good that on and off again, nothing would have changed. Yeah. For the listener, like, yeah, that's it. Um, there's this, like, separation between expectation and reality, what's actually going on and what's going on with her in the song, yeah. just like all the other ways that the technique was used previously. Plus she pauses to like to drive it home too. Like it's yeah. clear that, that she it's intentional because she she's pausing just long enough for you to be like, okay, that's the end of the line. I get it. They take something that you're really familiar with and then they mm-hmm. add something extra to it, which is like unexpected and it you know, in your head you feel like, oh, this is completed already. And then they add a little extra to make you to Rethink of of what complete actually is, or right. is that whole idea already all there is to that phrase? Right. So I have like a a way that this is done that is like completely unrelated to anything we've talked about so far. Yeah, that's good. Which is uh, in Carly Rae Jepsen's "Cut to the Feeling." Right. Mm. I'm a Carly stan. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows. Uh, so in "Cut to the Feeling," the whole song is about how. You know, she wants this guy to make a move. She's like ready. She wants him to go for it. Like she wants to get there already. And in the chorus, there are these chords, right? Which if if you know anything about music theory, uh, any given song usually has a, a key, right? And in that key, there's a tonic chord. Mm-hmm. The tonic chord is basically like home, home. right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you don't need to know anything else about it. It's just like that is like the the thing that your ear wants when you're listening to a song is it wants to resolve to the tonic chord, yep. right? And most songs will have the tonic chord somewhere in the chord progression because, you know, you hit home and then you move away from it and then you go back to home, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. In the chorus of Cut to the Feeling, she never hits the tonic chord. Mm. So your brain the whole time is like ready and waiting for the for the resolution. Right? Yeah. And you're, you're like every time like it switches chords, you're like ready to like complete it. Oh, OK, this is going to be where where the home chord comes back in or this is where it's going to get to the tonic. And it never does.
never makes the move. Exactly. It's <laughs> uh, that's why I really love it, right? I mean, yeah. as a, as a songwriting technique, it's pretty cool, right? Like that's really unique. A uh, uh, unique chord progression is always great, but specifically yeah. the fact that it matches what what is happening in the lyrics is why I love it. Song it's like, painting. That is, yeah, exactly. It is that is like amazing songwriting. Yeah. And yeah, it's interesting that you can do that not just with lyrics, which you know happens. It's easy to understand for people who don't, you know, don't know that much about like the inner machinations of music or whatever. But you can do it on like a chord or harmonic basis too. Nice, yeah. I I remember. I can't think of it at the top of my head, but I I know there are songs where the last chord isn't the tonic. Yeah, and it just ends right when it's supposed to go to the tonic, and yeah. the song just ends, and you're left with this really uneasy feeling. Yeah. Um, one, there's this lingering effect as well, where it just because when you don't resolve, it's like where does all that sound go? Like, <laughs> um, it's like if I went like bum bada bum bum bum. Ah, it's such a it's such a he bum, you, <laughs> yeah he thank you he had to do that right but some songs they just end there and whatever the lyrical content of the song is maybe it's about you know losing somebody not getting something back grief loss whatever bad thing or good thing I guess um, in order to illustrate a point home that it's it's not resolved yeah unresolved uh, they can just leave the tonic off of the end of the song yeah. Um, I think that leads me to my my last point about this. And I have a friend who's a musician, and I've been fortunate enough to hear both the demo version and the studio version of one of his songs. What's really cool about this is you can see a deliberate choice was made in the songwriting process. So in the studio version of this song, and it's called Better Resolutions, and it's about lack of very very fitting i guess yeah it's about wanting closure and not having it Mm -hmm. so in the in the demo version uh at the end he sings and i need you more and more each so he leaves a little bit of a pause before he says day and resolves down with the chord Mm -hmm. but in the studio version he just says that i need you never says the word and he ends the song he still resolves the the end of the song but uh, to me that was a really cool thing to pick up because that was a choice that he had to make at the end of the process that's like i want this unresolved feeling to be apparent to the listener Mm -hmm. and it's the last thing they hear too and and also in a way when the chord resolves and the word doesn't um there's also another level of like there's no explicit resolution right. but underneath something is getting resolved mm-hmm. so it's, it's another another really cool touch i really like the specifically what you said about you can see that a decision was made because I think a lot of times things like this, people are like, how much of it is really intentional? Like clearly some of the ones we've talked about are intentional, but yeah. some of them you could argue either way. But like it's really good to see that like songwriters do take these these things into account clearly. Like yeah. MF Doom is not accidentally, <laughs> you know, making a punchline. MF Doom knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. That's the spell with this notion. No. Yeah, that makes it even more impressive and cool. Yeah. You know what else is cool? What's that? The weather is getting colder. That's true. Colder. 
Cooler? Just, yeah, I just combined cool and cold together. Cooler. Cooler. Fuck. Somebody should tell Andre 3000 that that's actually what's cooler than being cool. <laughs> Cooler. It makes perfect sense. So we already talked about like it was transitioning to, to fall weather, but in the time scale of things, we're getting closer to the end of the year. And that means, you know, less and less albums are going to be released. What's interesting to know about this week was that the prevalence of EPs were much higher than I previously encountered in the past few months. Hmm. Uh, and I'm going to be talking about a few of those. And here's one of them now. This is Prince Charles's Evolution Part 1. This is the first project from Prince Charles. He's been on a few features before with Mary J. Blige, and uh, most notably, he's credited as the songwriter for Needed Me by Rihanna. So he's getting up there, but this is his first actual project. It's just an EP, only five songs. I thought that this was just going to be uh, another you know, smooth R&B voice over some trap production. wasn't really going to stand out, but... There's this really special 2000s boy band quality to Prince Charles, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird, but um, it, it kind of works for him. He makes him really accessible to me personally and acts like Usher, Mario, etc. was a really big deal. And we haven't really had that vein of R&B stars. His delivery is particularly noteworthy. He has this like dualistic really smooth and silky voice, but then also this strong and raspy voice. And he toggles back and forth between the two to uh, effectively enhance the melodies in, in this really deliberate way. And I think it's part of the charm. Lyrically, Charles has the potential to be really substantive and mindful, but he doesn't really try to be on this EP minus one song, the EP Closer, which I recommend you really listen closely to. Check out Evolution Part 1 for a solid debut from an up-and-coming R&B singer, especially if you're feeling nostalgic for the 2000s in the vein of Lloyd. Yeah, I ain't too crazy about getting all on my love. Last time you fucked up my mind, I won't lie, it's crazy, because lately I've been feeling like you somebody I can fuck with. Is that the perfect surprise with you right here back in my life? And baby, it's probably on the kissing and the touching. Yeah, yeah. You know just how to deal with me. You know just how to talk to me. Just when I'm feeling it, like I can't believe in nothing. You show up changing everything. It's kind of funny, but it's all good. See, you say you, you kind of see me. So many people around that's kind of lately. Yeah, I got so much on my mind. I've been going crazy. But you the one I want around, so don't you play me. We all good. Next up is probably the most star-studded release of this week. It's 21 Savage, Offset, and Metro Boomings without warning. So 21 Savage and Offset are both rappers who we talked about in our Mumble Rap episode. 21, 21. (laughs) (laughs) And Metro Boomin is basically the big hip-hop producer nowadays. Metro Uh, Boomin gonna shoot you. I'm trying to do the the, the tags for all the rappers. What is it? It's, if young Metro don't trust you, I'm gonna shoot you. Young Metro. By by far the coolest (laughs) producer tag in the game right now. And this is a collaboration album between the three of them. And it's kind of awesome to me. I think that what what really works uh, for this album is that all of the people have a lot of charisma. Even yeah. Metro Boomin, who who isn't even emceeing, his his 
beats have such a strong presence that you can tell that it's Metro, you know? Um, <laughs> 21 Savage is, he has like a really weird kind of charisma because he's very laid back and very like, I, I don't even know, like he's drugged out or like he just doesn't even care. But then like to juxtapose that offset is like this really dynamic dude he has like mm-hmm. you know he has like this melodic sensibility but he also like switches up his flow constantly he has like a really dynamic style and i think that either one of them on their own wouldn't work that well i mean offset has they've both shown that they can make their own music but specifically the way that they that they flow on this album i don't think it would have either one of them would have been able to do as much if it was just themselves but because you know, Offset always has that 21 Savage anchor and 21 Savage always, you know, has Offset to like to to spice things up. They both get to sort of play with stuff. And Metro Boomin has this really dark sound. He weaves this really intricate like tapestry, I guess, of of sounds. And I think that Metro has had a little bit of a problem in that a lot of MCs can't really match up to the quality of his beats, you know? So <laughs> I, I think that it's really great that that these two MCs who are at the top of their game showed up and really did that justice. So if you're looking for some great mumble rap, you know, if, <laughs> if we sold you on mumble rap in that one episode and you've been looking for some more quality stuff, this is definitely the album to check out. Yeah, Kim Jong, yeah, big bone. Wonder bread, man, make your bitch lick crumb. Yeah, out of my pocket, flooded, got my wrist numb. Link, grab the hit stick, nigga, tryna blitz some. Dope boy, dope boy, I sell coke boy. You broke ass rappers, food, it's a pole boy. Everybody the same, all these niggas sound like this. Fox 5 gang, turn you to a candlelight. Bitch boy, I'm a mobster. Next up is Yeji's EP2. I think it's Ep2. That's the kind of vibe I get from her. Yeah, I think it's Yeji. I'm not too sure, but this is definitely my favorite discovery from this week. Yeji makes ambient house music. And as much as this is an oxymoron, this EP is filled with half hard-hitting bangers and half really chill ambient tracks. The hook on Rain Girl is insane. She manages to simultaneously be badass and cute all at once. Yeji is also unique in that she she incorporates Korean as a core element in some of her songs, but it all works to to boost this really quirky and experimental girl-next-door vibe. I've talked about covers and remixes before and how they give a producer a signature sound. You can definitely hear her unique style in her cover of Passion Fruit, which is propelling her into the spotlight right now. It's her biggest hit. Check this EP out, and I think you'll be hearing a lot more from Yeji soon. Hopefully an album in the next year. Free. 
Mother Russia in my cup, and my glass is fogging up. Oh yeah, hey dog, hey what's up? Oh yeah, hey dog, hey what's up? When the sweaty walls are banging, I don't fuck with family planning. Make it rain, girl, make it rain, 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 make it rain, girl. Next up is James Holden and the Animal Spirits, the Animal Spirits. So James Holden is a British electronic music producer, and this is his third album. And as far as I can tell, the Animal Spirits is just a name that he's given himself or maybe the musicians he's working with. This is their only album. So when I heard about this album, I heard it described as an electronic and a spiritual jazz album. Mm. So... Uh, as we learned last week, I don't know much about electronic music. And as we learned a few episodes before that, I don't know much about jazz music. So Arash just doesn't know anything about music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just kidding. Exactly. Uh. No, I, legit. But, <laughs> we um, don't, I don't know anything either. What are we doing here? <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is an electronic album, but it's electronic about as much as Kid A by Radiohead is electronic. Mm. Like... Yes, it's an electronic album, but there's live drums, there's saxophones and horns, there's organs, there's electric guitars, like really prominently too. Yeah. So, you know, it seems a little reductive to call it electronic music, or at least let's say it seems like you might imagine something that this isn't necessarily. And so I looked into spiritual jazz, and there's definitely some elements of jazz to this album, but uh, I think spiritual jazz specifically makes a lot of sense because what I what I have read is that spiritual jazz is about transcendence, right? Like that's mm. the goal of the the whole genre is to to make the listener have a transcendental experience. Um, but I think that there's also something to be said about how jazz doesn't necessarily describe this album well either because the all the songs have a lot more structure and directionality and purpose than I hear in a lot of jazz. I've been listening to some more lately because, you know, we yeah. got primers on both electronic and jazz recently. So I'm trying to China up my game. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this album is like a really dizzying experience to listen to. It's if the purpose of spiritual jazz is to give you a transcendental experience, then like this is the album to do it. Mm. It feels like chaotic but satisfying. So if you're looking for an instrumental album that defies categorization but has improvisation and structure and will make you have an out-of-body experience, then this is the album for you. Finally, we have Duckworth's An Extra Ugly Mixtape. And that's Duckworth without an O. First off, let's talk about his album name. Um, this is the 
mixtape from Duckworth. He had a previous studio album called "I'm Ugly," and I find it really funny that his rapper tag is "Damn this n-word ugly." Ugly to him actually represents、um, the fact that he's not a perfect human being. So "I'm ugly" just means you know I'm not perfect, and he's the ugly duckling. Maybe that's exactly what the fuck that was supposed to mean. Yeah,、um, and he's kind of like Young Thug in a way, as in he's blurring the lines of gender roles in his appearance and his lyricism as well. You can hear this in one of the songs where he specifically addresses this. That being said, he has this effortless charisma, but somehow still feel really down to earth. Like I can see him just being my neighbor down the block and making rap songs. Just as with his rapper tag, you get the sense that the same stylistic choice,、uh, where there's more substance behind the superficial meaning,、um, is in all of these really feel-good songs. Sonically, this album does really stand out from the pack. You know, it's a, it's a rap album first of all, but it's this cool combination of funk and rock. Uh, in a hip hop album that gives me hella nerd vibes, and and nerd is Pharrell and Cole, you know. Yeah, they have a new album coming out soon. They do. Duckworth even says this some Nirvana shit, and there's a full blown rock song where he just raps over it and it's seamless. It's really really cool. He's also really comical, and the songs have this youthful energy that's also full of love. And he talks a lot about faith, but in this. Layman way that's not too disconnected or、uh, ethereal. It just feels like, like I said, really down to earth.、And、he's definitely got a new fan. Check it out. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Michael Jackson.、Ah! And now it's time for our album of the week, which is awesome because we haven't had any albums that we. Liked enough to have as an album of the week for the past few weeks. Yeah,、um, our album of the week is Willow's The First. Willow is, I guess, best known for being Will Smith's daughter,、uh, sister to Jaden Smith, daughter of Jada Pinkett Smith. Also, who's also making an album. Really? Yep. I didn't know that. Coming、um, out soon. Yeah,、uh, this is Willow's second album after Artipithecus.、Uh, Willow is seventeen years old, which is you know that's awesome, and she also produced all of the songs on this album.、Mm-hmm. So she is a real、uh, talent, self-made woman. Yeah, 
girl. I mean, she's not even a woman yet. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I say that also because, of course, she has all this access to the music industry, I'm sure, with her you know, connections and all of that. But she addresses that. She wants this distance from this cluster of stars, as she calls it. So it's kind of cool that everything is is a product of what she's making. Damn. Honestly, I didn't even realize that the cluster of stars was like a a show. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, I mean, getting into the album, she really embraces her like weirdness. You know, she has like a real outsider aesthetic and it seems really natural, too. Yeah. And she embraces that. So I kind of thought that her cluster of stars thing was kind of like her. I see from my third eye, that kind of thing, you know, like Ah. a spiritual sort of. Could be. uh, yeah, but I mean, that makes sense, too. I didn't even think of that. And I think that she would also agree with that. Like, she, I don't think she really has showbiz aspirations necessarily. Or, I mean, if she does, it's not like, like, I want to be famous. Right. It's like, I want to do, I want to make the things that I'm proud of making. Getting into this album, Willow is like, I sort of have been thinking about this album as like the next in a long lineage of like artsy, weird girl, chamber pop, art chamber pop. Chamber pop, yeah. Like, artists you know like there's Kate Bush there's Bjork all these accidents that happen follow the dot coincidence makes sense more recently, even somebody like Solange or something. Yeah. I tried to drink it away. I tried to put one in the air. I tried to dance it away. And then now there's Willow. is a really ambitious album for sure and being 17 yeah definitely like this is like such a fully formed vision and like it's not a perfect album but i would say that this is an album that is like all killer no filler yeah and we talked about ambitious music before and i think this one actually did land with me um uh, i mean it had a lot of risks to take Uh, a lot of the stylistic choices are are for sure weird like if you listen to whip my hair and you were expecting that (laughs) from this This album or anything it is definitely way 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 off um so it might have been a a turnoff for some people yeah uh initially and i think if you didn't come into it with like an open mind it might have been like oh i I don't really know what this this is this is too much or she's trying too hard yeah and i think that's a discredit because i think she's just trying to do her yeah i you know when we talked about ambition we said that it was like uh you measure ambition by like how many different points there are at which like a a thing can fail you know what i mean like you take this risk then you take another risk then you take another risk there's like you know 70 places where like this song could fall flat for somebody and Mm -hmm. this is a this is a case where like i think that she does like every she takes every single risk she possibly could yeah and it's like like, she hits, like, 85% of it for me. Yeah. Or like, maybe 90%. Like, there are a few missteps, I think, mm-hmm. but, like, they're very few and far in between. And, e- like, even the songs where there are missteps, like, they turn into amazing songs by the end or whatever. Yeah, there's always like, this one element or two or whatever that's going on that makes me, um, I guess, reevaluate if I don't like it. 
Like, yeah. If I had this sudden, like, oh, this is, I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's actually really good. Exactly. So. And I think that, like, this album, 90% of this album is better than 100% of most albums. I'll put ah, it that way. You know what it. I mean? Like, a lot of albums hit everything they're trying to do. And this album maybe makes a few missteps, but, like, I'm... I'm so there. So I yeah. actually didn't like pay much attention to her when her first album came out, Artipithecus, because uh, I heard a lot of really bad reviews. And the reviews, like in going back and looking at them, they actually weren't that negative. But what most of them said was that uh, she was kind of fake deep, you know, or something like that. Ah. Um, which I told, like going back, I, I hadn't listened to her first album because of the negative view, negative reviews. But going back and listening to, you know, half of it or something, I, I definitely get where they're coming from. And I think that there's like a couple of places on here where that's like the big problem that like yeah. if, if, if I have one complaint for this album, it's that like the beginning of romance. <laughs> romance doesn't exist. It's a hoax to trick your mind into thinking perfection exists or absence of suffering. Stop leading girls to the clouds above It's so distracting We can't focus on self-love It's like, it's very preachy, you know? Mm -hmm. But then, like, by the end, these, like, amazing harmonies and this, like, guitar counterpoint, like, all of these things come in and it's like, it sounds beautiful. I too didn't really pay attention to Willow when she came out with her first album. Mm. And I think mostly that's because of Whip My Hair. <laughs> I was like, I, I didn't read any of the views. I was like, I don't really care for that <laughs> kind of music. And I didn't know that she was doing the shift with her own, I guess, yeah. brand now. Um, sonically, I think what's really cool about this album is, in terms of you know, the ambition that we're talking about is that it goes through a lot of different styles. It's varied mm. throughout, you know. Some songs are folky, and yeah. and some are like straight up rock, yeah. right? And there's breakbeat as well. And in the context of the album, it doesn't feel like they come out of nowhere. Yeah, um, it just sounds like it because it's so different. Right. I, I think that the way Willow arranges and composes music is like she's like a classical composer. Like yeah. it is amazing. She's a prodigy. Yeah, like the smallest example is like at the beginning of Lonely Road, there's this little vocal idea that she puts forward. And then this like this other vocal line comes mm -hmm. in and it's like this counterpoint thing that's happening. It's I, I, I like wouldn't have ever thought of that or heard it. Yeah. <sighs>
it's like such a simple moment. But the way that they work against each other reminds me a lot of like how classical composers write counterpoint, which is like two different melodies going on at the same time. But then they also work with each other to write these like harmonic movements. And it's like so cool. Yeah, for sure. I also really liked her voice on this album. And I think that was kind of a really big surprise for me because I didn't know that she could sing like that or control her voice in that way as well. A lot of it is... I'm nodding my head vigorously, by the way. You yeah. Can't see that, but, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, a lot of it is, it sounds much older than her age. Yeah. I'm, you know, if I didn't know this was Willow and I just turned it on, I would, I would have no idea who it was. I'd just be like, ah, this is some cool, like, 80s chamber pop thing that yeah. I've never heard before. Ah, it's a 17-year-old. Yeah. Oh, it's Willow Smith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here are the chain of events in my, uh, that, that goes in my brain, yeah. Yeah, like, on, on the song Israel, there's this, like, one little vocal run that she does in the melody, and she yeah. does it consistently, and... Like, she has such a gift for melody, but even, like, even just on a technical level, like, the fact that she can control her voice like that is incredible. Yeah. Your smile, like the wind, I only met you once, but how do I be? Like, the fact that she has both the, the like, vision and the execution to write melodies like that mm. is, like, just mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Uh, at some points in the album, though, she did remind me a lot of another really young artist that also came out with an album this week, uh, Grace Vanderwall. Hmm, okay. If y'all don't know, uh, Grace Vanderwall won American's Got Talent when she was 12, I believe. Mm. She is now 13. And she released an album. I think it's her debut album. Yeah. And there's no denying that she has, like, a great, great voice. Mm -hmm. And her voice, too, sounds very mature and refined for her age. Yes, you're talking about a marriage and a life together. The similarity brought to mind this question of like, you know, what do people think of music that supposedly really young or inexperienced people make? Mm. Like, Grace is only 13. Willow's only 17. Uh, another EP that we featured earlier this year, Billie Eilish, she's also only 17. Lord, when she made her debut, she was 16. There's, there seems to be a lot of premium on whether these young artists can really convey mature ideas in their songs. There also seems to be this weird standard. I'm not quite sure if it's under or above what normal people have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's under, sometimes it's over. Yeah. You don't know. Like You're like, oh, Grace, that's so cute. Uh, your song was so good. A 13-year-old could never write that. So that was good. Versus like... Oh, wow. 
you know, Willow 17, she's writing about existentialism and, you know, Buddhism. You know, what does she really know? I don't know. Yeah. You know, there's this uh, some kind of double standard going on yeah. in this. Yeah, I actually, that's a really good point. And I like, I was sort of thinking about stuff like that, but I don't think I, I thought of it in quite those terms. Uh, I think it reminds me of... There's this YouTuber named Nerdwriter One, and he here we go. <laughs> he he does video essays basically, and he has this one about intertextuality, mm. and he's basically talking about intertextuality in in movies. And intertextuality is basically like when you see something in one work of art, the the meaning that it has that it's collected from other pieces of art, basically, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And he was basically making the point that some movies, like especially big blo blockbuster movies or whatever, they don't give the like symbols or whatever in their movie their own unique meaning. They're just like stealing those meanings from other movies, mm. you know? Like they're not actually building a whole like movie around their own, their own ideas and ideology or whatever. They're just, they're just like sort of gesturing towards those ideas yeah. and assuming that the audience has already seen enough movies that, like, you know what we're talking about here. And I think that, like, that's kind of what, what the, like, young people thing reminds me of, especially with the, like, oh, well, she's talking about existentialism. What could she know or whatever? I think there's a sense that, like, like the authenticity, like, why that's such a big thing is because it's sort of assumed that if a young person is writing about certain topics, mm -hmm. they must not have ha actually had those experiences. They're just like making watered down versions of other art that they've heard. Ah, you know what I, mean? I see. Like they're they're not actually like saying like uh, they haven't actually experienced heartbreak. They're not putting their own emotions in. They're just like, well, I've listened to like music about heartbreak since I was. You know, like three Four. years ago. I was yeah. going to say since I was a little kid, but you know, like since three years ago. Yeah. And I think I know enough. Right, exactly. Which is like, that's not necessarily what you want. And I, I think that Willow is kind of like that. I think that she can kind of like go both ways, you know, like the philosophical stuff. I mean, I can't, I don't really know enough about anything to like, to say that she's right or wrong, but. Oh, there's no right or wrong in philosophy. It's bullshit. <laughs> I, I like it, but it's bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, so so like I don't really know enough to be like to convincingly be like no, like she's just talking talking you know crap or whatever. But uh, I mean, I think it doesn't really matter how authentic it is if it conveys the type of emotion or the feeling that it was supposed to. Right. Um, but that is like lost on a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Uh. I mean, I can under, I can also understand that that might be a turnoff, but that also doesn't discredit the fact that I like this album. I like this Willow album, even if I don't, even if I don't think she's experienced these things. As in, like, I have no gauge of whether she has or not. I don't care in this context, but mm -hmm. in like with another song that's very deliberately about an experience that somebody's had, mm -hmm. you just can't like replace that. Yeah, I, I think that there is one thing, which is that the the preachier lyrics on this album, this like this does make it more egregious, you know, <laughs> because when something is really preachy and you feel like the person doesn't know what they're talking about, it feels kind of like, oh, you're regurgitating like like the the most annoying versions of whatever you've heard back at me and like you don't even know what you're talking about, you know. But generally, I definitely agree with you. And I think personally that that, you know, I don't know 
about Willow's romantic experiences and I really have no interest in knowing. <laughs> but uh, I think that when I listen to songs like Boy, I really feel like yeah. she does mean that. You yeah, know? Because for sure. Like it's kind of like a little bit juvenile in the like relatable way. Not that's not like a knock against her. Like it's it's clearly meant to be that you know like. Hey mom, I met a boy. He plays guitar. He likes Quentin Tarantino and really sad songs. Anxious, he attacks when he. Up in the morning, and I can't help the thought he thinks I'm boring. Cause I come from a cluster of super bright stars, and probably to him it feels scary to reach that far. It's clearly meant to be sort of a young love type of thing. But then it also goes into this area of like, like, I'm weird and he's weird and like, <laughs> we're clearly not like other people, blah, blah, blah. And like, I kind of believe, I mean, just listen to this album. She's not like other people. Like, yeah, for sure. I kind of believe that like, she really does feel like an outsider and not even in a bad way necessarily. Like the second song on the album is like an instrumental piano piece yeah, that's it's kind titled... Of an awkward life of an awkward girl. So like, <laughs> there you she, go. She clearly knows what she's about, you know? Yeah. I have one last point that I want to make, which is just that uh, Willow is like an incredibly gifted producer. And mm -hmm. I hope that she starts producing for other artists because like <laughs> other people need to step their game up. Like yeah. her, like even just her guitar playing is magnificent. Like she has like these really weird jazz chord progressions, like just every single, every single gear that she, that she, uh, goes into it all works and I hope that she starts producing for other artists as well because I don't want to wait for like two or three more years to hear more production like this whenever her next album comes out yeah and I hope people don't take her lightly because she's only 17 yeah or they feel some kind of disconnect between her or whatever I think it's a good album period that's it for drummer please the show where we talk about the music we love and why we love it I'm Kim Huang and I'm Adar Schneid Noor and if you like this episode, please subscribe to us on iTunes. We're also on almost any other platform podcast can be found. Definitely leave us a review. We would love to hear what you have to say about the podcast. We're also on social media at Please Drumroll on Twitter and Instagram, where we supplement the show with albums and song recommendations and also update you on when episodes are released. Finally, we have a Facebook page where we post all of our episodes and where you can contact us directly through Messenger. Say goodbye to the recording studio at our... Bye, studio. Aww. You will be missed. Oh, Yeah, this is it. See you guys next week when Ardosh is in Houston and I'm in Austin. Bye. Do you think there should be something else? Like something flashier? Uh, we're gonna do a new segment today called uh, "Switch on Pop Light." <laughs> How do they do it? Tools in the arsenal. How do they do it? <laughs> this is the segment called "What are the choices that they made to make a great song?" Like <laughs> <laughs> this new segment called "Wait, what did I?" Hear? What you heard is the sound of me walking out that door. Uh, like something like tools or something. Tool belt. <laughs>
Like, if we're going to say tool belt, we could just say song picnics. No, we're not going to say tool belt, but something, like, in that range is, like, toolbox or, like, you know, like... Yeah, because box. tool belt isn't cool, but toolbox... Yeah, toolbox whoa, is super way, cool. It's way cooler than a belt. But I'm saying... We're that, not arguing about this I'm saying that belt. belts are cooler than boxes. No, boxes are cooler than belts. But Batman has a utility belt. Well, fuck Batman. I would fuck <sighs> Batman. I'm going to say it fucking right. What is it? Adersh. Adersh. Nope. Adersh. Ah. 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 Dersh. Dersh. Duh. Duh. How do you say the? The. Yeah. Adersh. Ursh. Adersh. Adersh, yeah. Adersh. <laughs> Not like you're throwing up. Adersh. 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 Good enough. Okay. Wait, let me try to do that again. Go ahead. And Metro Boomin, who is the, the biggest uh, hip-hop producer right now. If young Metro ain't going to shoot you, I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> wow. We're just going to move on. We're just going to pretend Guys, that didn't I'm happen. Guys, I'm a thug.